Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Clocked In with the Press, hosted at Altman Studios in Brentwood, California. In this podcast, we highlight news stories, individuals, and organizations that deserve your attention. For full news stories and to stay updated on the latest Contra Costa County happenings, you can visit our website and Facebook at thepress.net or our Twitter and Instagram at PressClockedIn. This is your host, Caitlin Gleason, clocking in. For today's episode, we get to sit down with Brentwood Union School District Superintendent Dana Eaton as we get an update on school events, stories, policies, and happenings of which our community would like to be in the know. So, Dana, thank you for coming onto the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I know you're kind of a repeat guest here now. You're a regular. <laughs> I, I know the way to the studio. The so first that was regular. Good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> All right. Uh, so there's going to be a few different stories that I'm going to be walking through here. Uh, okay. The first big one that I would like to talk about is the state announcement that mask mandates in schools will be lifted on March 12th. Uh, When it was announced that these mask mandates would be dropped for schools, what was your initial thought or response? Yeah, no, I think everybody was excited. I mean, I think Mm. we're ready to make this progression. Um, We had been talking about it as a a school board. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that the school board's been consistent about is saying that we're going to follow whatever the California Department of Public Health guidelines are and the Contra Costa County health guidelines. And so, and when they say it's okay for us to have masks be optional, then we'll have mm-hmm. them be optional. And so we sent out a letter probably within a couple hours of the announcement, just letting everybody know that the state had announced that they were recommended, but optional mm-hmm. going forward um, starting mm-hmm. next Monday. So you had that email ready. You were just waiting for the announcement. You're like, all right, send. Well, well, you know what the truth is, is I like to tell people is, you know, before the governor does a press conference, he doesn't reach out to me and ask if it's going to be okay or check in with me to right. see what he's going to say. So the truth is, is we, most of the time we're watching the press conference to see what they're going to say, just mm-hmm. like everybody else. And so on that day, we got about a half an hour heads up of what they thought he was going to say from one of our associations. And so, but that was what we knew. We knew about 30 minutes right. before. So, so you get that email and they're like did you know about this and you say well your guess is as good as mine <laughs> yeah, yeah. well they well they'll say like why haven't you told everybody yet it was because well we heard it the same time that you did so we're we're right. we're trying to to go forward as we can all right um are there other covid policies that will be upheld or established following the dropping of mask mandates like social distancing or frequent testing or things like that yeah it doesn't sound like that they're going to have social distancing in place mm. um, anymore it, it does sound like that they want some level of testing and quarantining that go along mm. with it so we haven't heard that any of the quarantine guidelines will change so if somebody is exposed there will be a required quarantine. Uh, period. That's really governed. Our health department really kind of governs that and lets us know what that period of time is going to be. So we expect that's going to be the same um, going forward. In terms of testing, um, one of the things that we've been able to have since the very beginning is testing available at every school site and at the district office. So oftentimes, um, even for our community members that weren't able to test at Kaiser or at John Sutter, right, they were able to come um, to the school district and get mm-hmm. testing. And so we anticipate continuing to have that for a while going forward and, and we'll have that as long as it's mm-hmm. needed in the community and in our schools. Mm-hmm. And do you think that this new state action about COVID could be a signifier that the end of the pandemic is kind of like on the horizon? I think we all hope so, right? We're all hope- I, I, yeah, I think we we're hope all hoping so that. 2020. <laughs> but I, I, I honestly don't think really anybody knows going mm-hmm. forward. I mean, I think we're definitely hopefully progressing towards an endemic stage where we're we're managing covid and that it's we're we're able to do things that make it safe in our community mm. for everybody i think that's what we all hope for but mm. 
We don't really know. I mean, I think we were all surprised by Omicron, right, and how fast that came and went through um, our communities. And so I, I don't ever want to say never. Mm. Yeah. And if COVID were to become endemic, um, how do you see this affecting schools in the Brentwood Union School District? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, again, we would rely on the health experts that sort of guide us. We're not, we're not epidemiologists and we're not doctors in that sense. And so we do really rely on their guidance. But my guess is we would continue to have testing and quarantining go forward if it wasn't an endemic stage. Um, and then, you know, hopefully in a short while it would transition to more what our flu response looks like, right? As we, um, if we have more students that are sick in a class that we send out a notice and the health department guides us through that, mm. right? But otherwise we're encouraging people to take preventative measures and to stay home when they're sick, mm. right? Those kinds of things. Yeah. So ideally it would be like during just the normal flu season that would be, where, you know, there's an optional flu shot. Some people get it. Maybe seven people gets it. <laughs> yeah. Just, Something like that. Yeah. yeah. We'll just have to see what comes. Mm. So uh, to move along a little bit, okay. uh, the next story I would like to touch on is the story about uh, the crossing guard that was sent out in a letter that yeah. um, was a week and a half, two weeks ago or something like that. Yeah. Uh, for context for our readers, uh, mask choice protesters were protesting at Ron Nunn Elementary School when a crossing guard who was wearing a hijab and a mask was present. Uh, the protesters were reported to yell, quote, this is not the Taliban, this is America, take off your mask, end quote. So how did the school find out about this situation? Yeah, well, it was initially reported uh, by the crossing guard herself. And then um, and then we had other information that was shared by other parents because it happened while she was crossing kids. And so mm. I, think, I think I had two huge, huge concerns. One was that um, that level of hate speech was directed at mm-hmm. somebody in our community, right? I live in this community and, and that's not reflective of the people that are here. And number two, that anything like that happened in the presence of elementary school children was mm-hmm. was really terrible. And so, um, so I think that I think that we had several parents that were concerned because they had heard comments that their kids had brought home as well and shared. Right. So, so. it kind of had that circulative effect where yeah. one person says it, and then it just kind of catches on with kids that don't know any better. Right. Right. Have there been any updates from the Brentwood Police Department? Yeah, no, not recently. I know we reported it to them, and I know that they reached out and made contact. And so, you know, from there it goes through a process with them, with the district attorney, and it's really up to the district attorney what Mm -hmm. they decide to do with that information. Okay, so it's kind of ongoing, and we're still waiting for that update. Yeah. All right. Um, did or does uh, the crossing guard teacher have any comments about the situation? No. You know what? Here's what I want to say, though, is that I was I was so impressed by the community. I was out there the next morning, um, and, it, and I literally teared up while I was standing out there because there were probably 75 to 100 kids and parents that came up individually to the crossing guard, handed her flowers, handed her cards, Aww. told her how much they appreciated what she was doing and so it was really it was really a special showing and she was all when people came up all she did was introduce herself to them mm-hmm. because one of the things that happens sometimes with like positions like crossing guards is that I don't want to say they can be anonymous but not everybody knows their name mm-hmm. right because they're doing a job and and while they're doing that job people are coming and going and not necessarily getting to know them and so she introduced herself to them I think it was a nice community moment mm-hmm. one thing that was really interesting was um, you know, she was, as she was crossing kids across, there were, there were children that were walking across with flowers and wanting to hand them to her, mm. but she took her job so seriously. She was facing out and she was like, 
gotta go to the other side. Gotta go to the other side. <laughs> She's and like, so I they, appreciate it, but go. <laughs> but go, go, go to the other side. And so, so the kids would go to the curb, and then they would wait there and hand it to. Her. It was just there were really there were mm. numerous really special moments that mm-hmm. happened as a result of that. So it it turned something that was potentially ugly into something that was really beautiful. Mm. Oh yeah, no, I um because sometimes I have to you know walk a distance to my car a little bit, um and the crossing guard who helps on the corner of Caps, yeah, um I do not know her name, but I see her every single week, and she always waves to me. Yeah. She smiles. She's like, "Are you walking this way or this way?" And I'm yeah. like. Thank you so much. Yeah. So crossing guards really are just a gem of this they, community. <laughs> they really are. They really are. Um, all right. So uh, another story um, that I saw recently was that Adams Middle School hosted Special Olympics Unified Basketball. Yeah. Um, what schools participated in the event? Yeah, it was great. So Adams hosted, it was all the middle schools. So Edna Hill, um, Adams and Bristow were all there. And then all five of the Liberty schools were there. Mm. So all five high schools. And what's so great about Unified Basketball, it's it's sponsored by the Special Olympics and they bring together um, intellectually disabled uh, students with, with their typically developing peers. And so it really builds a community mm-hmm. on us on a school campus. Um, it really promotes friendships and inclusion. It's it's just a really special special mm-hmm. event. And so you had literally hundreds of students and staff that were there. You know, in a typical event, we would also have parents and so forth. Mm-hmm. Out, but with COVID, we're you know right now we're, we're holding off on that, but hoping to get back to that soon. It was just a, a great event. One special thing that I saw um, this young girl. Uh, Vivian, it was her job to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and and Vivian got up and in front of all of these people, right, she got up and she recited the Pledge of Allegiance and she was so overcome with joy after completing it successfully. She like turned around and she like hugged her teacher and she oh hugged her goodness. aide that were there, right? And I was, I was lucky enough to be standing up there behind her so I could see just how thrilled she was in her mm-hmm. eyes. So it really presents a lot of, uh, special opportunities for these incredible kids, mm-hmm. and so it's just it's a it's really a neat thing. It's one of the best mm-hmm. things that we do. Yeah, uh, what would you say were some of just the highlights of the whole thing? Yeah, I, I think it's it's always fun to watch. Um, kids get to sort of come out of their element, and so you see, um, you know, sometimes you see middle and high school kids that sometimes you know struggle with finding belonging. These are typically developing kids, and they're out there and. They're helping one of their intellectually disabled peers be successful in basketball. Mm-hmm. They're passing the ball. They're helping them take a shot. And watching their joy as they help a friend be successful going forward, I think that's always the mm-hmm. highlight. Yeah, just like that, the building of community and yeah. relationships for people. Yeah. And so, you know, Katie Human and her staff at Adams really did a great job putting that together. Mm-hmm. So it was fantastic. Of course. Uh, what other Special Olympic events can the community look forward to during the rest of the school year? Yeah, you know what? That's a good question. And I don't necessarily know which ones are coming up. I know in a typical year we'll have soccer and we'll have some mm. level of track and field that comes forward. I know also they, they've they been doing a lot of times the police athletic league helps out with unified bowling, which mm. is a fun thing where we get the police involved because the, the police athletic league has always been a good supporter of, of unified sports as well. Mm. So more to come. I'm sure I think they were waiting to see 
um, the ability to get parents involved because they're part of that partnership too. Mm. You know, I used to do bullying. I was quite awful at it. <laughs> um, I think one time I got over a hundred points. And you know, I they have bumpers was on the brink of tears. They have bumpers and and yeah, like rolling guides. I mean, they're listen, supposed to be for the toddlers. My pride can but, only take so okay. many hits, right. Dana. <laughs> okay. Um, and so my last question about this story is: Why do you think it is important that people support programs such as the Special Olympics in our local schools? Oh gosh, I think I think Special Olympics bring out the best in everybody. I mean, I think mm. we're we're looking to find the full potential of everybody in schools. And I think what's great about the Special Olympics and the Unified Sports Program is it really does that. It really pushes everybody's staff, every student, to be their best and and to recognize that there's a world bigger than just themselves, mm. right? And so to recognize the need to look out for other people, to be supportive and encouraging of other people. I mean, I think that's, I think that's what anybody would want in their school and in their community. Yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful. Um, so to, to move on again, I have, uh, basically like three, three more, three more stories. Yeah. So, um, the first one is that we can talk a little bit about the zoning for schools by the Eden housing project off of Lone Tree Away in O'Hara. Um, so there is a lot to develop before much can be said about it. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the growth of the school district in the coming years? Yeah, no, I think growth is a very important thing. We, we, we get asked a lot to weigh in on certain developments and so forth. And Mm -hmm. that's really out of our lane for the most part that's a city council a planning commission mm. decision right going forward but in but in terms of how the growth affects the school district right is is being a homeowner in Brentwood you'll notice that you'll have you know you have um, bonds that are on your property tax that are paying for schools and the reason for that is in a rapidly growing school community the money that comes in from developers while they mitigate lots of their impacts in the community so they help pay for parks and roads and streets and lighting they don't pay their full share for schools mm. and so what what a developer pays ends up being about a third of what it cost to actually build a school to house the kids that come there. And so as a result, we have to get money from the voters. Mm. And then we also have to get money from the state, which hasn't been coming so well recently. Right. And so, <laughs> so a lot of times when people ask me, why do I have so many bonds? Well, the reason that you have bonds is because the developers come in, they don't mitigate their impacts, right? They pay a percentage of what we need to build a school. But in order for us to continue to build schools, to continue main, maintain schools, mm-hmm. we have to go to the voters and pass bonds. And so... Okay. So there's, there's a lot of kind of extra paperwork and steps that need to be taken before schools can really be finished building. Yes. And it's very expensive. People are shocked at the cost you know, to give you an example of, you know, the, uh, we have a school that we're planning right now, um, off of Lone Tree out in that, that area. Mm -hmm. And the expectation is that school will cost about $50 million. And to put that in perspective, (laughs) it's a similar school that, uh, you know, I, I was hired out here in 2003 to open up Pioneer Elementary School. And that school cost $18 million to build. And so, um, you know, to give you another perspective is we put in an eight classroom building at Edna Hill where an old theater was after Mm. we had, we had moved that theater and that building, eight classrooms, it was $8 million. So it's easy to see, uh, you know, at a million dollars a classroom, it goes pretty fast. And so, you know, there's lots of reasons behind that. There's lots of bureaucracy, um, and rules that regulate schools that don't regulate, you know, other buildings, but in reality, schools are the safest buildings in any community. And, mm. and so the, the, 
the quality that's required and the rules that are be required to be followed make them very expensive. Yeah, because, you know, you have these rooms that kids will be spending hours of yeah. a day in, so you want to make sure that they're yeah. safe to be in and that they're high quality yeah. and things like that. But it's expensive. It's very expensive. <laughs> I did not realize yeah. how expensive schools are to build. Yeah. So right now we have a calculation that we do, we're required to do every year where it talks about how many students we're going to get out of each new housing development that comes mm-hmm. in, right? And so right now it's about, it's about, it's, it's a strange way to talk about it, but it's about 0.45 of a kid out of every house. So obviously we're not mm. getting a fractional kid out of, out of a house, but. No, you get like the legs in one <laughs> yeah, house and then yeah. the, t- so, the top, top half in yeah. the second house. <laughs> but we, you know, what's, what's interesting is as, um, you know, Brentwood hasn't had a ton of uh, multifamily housing mm. units, apartments, condos, things like that. So when those come in right now, it's actually a smaller number that we get out of that. It's it's like 0.25, I think, mm-hmm. of a kid out of each apartment that comes in. But we have to adjust those as we go forward, and we'll mm-hmm. see what the new housing brings. So do you think the addition of like mixed housing uh, neighborhoods kind of have a larger ratio of kids or smaller ratio of kids? You know, that's a, it's a good question. And right now what we've seen is actually the, the multifamily housing brings uh, fewer students, Mm. but, but there's a lot of things that play into it. Right. And right now our data isn't so great because of COVID is that Mm -hmm. the the data that we've had over the last couple of years, isn't super helpful in, in, in saying how many students we're going to get out of a particular housing development in the long run. So we'll have to kind of keep revisiting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Ongoing and to be updated. Yeah, That's to be the updated. definition of the news. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about the story of the kids that got hurt by using fireworks on March 6th. Uh, what can you kind of tell me about that story and situation? Yeah, no, I think it's heartbreaking, right? We were notified um, that some of our students uh, were involved and very seriously injured by, by fireworks. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that I just want to say is just encourage everybody to um, recognize how dangerous fireworks can be for children. And these are kids that could potentially have life altering injuries, right. Mm -hmm. As they go forward, right. What, what we're hearing right now is they're not life threatening injuries, but one of the, one of the kids was, you know, life flighted out from one of the schools because their injuries were that serious. And so I think that it's, um, you know, it's 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 critical that people keep that in mind if they're mm-hmm. as they're thinking about where their kids are and what they're doing. Definitely lessons to be learned, but yeah. very sad situation. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, we're we're all hoping for a positive outcome as, mm-hmm. as we go forward, but we're concerned about the mm-hmm. serious nature of what happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So, lastly, I uh, would like to touch on the subject of information and media when it comes to how parents or individuals approach schools and yeah. school policies, because I feel like. Everyone wants to be able to engage in the conversation. Um, Many people like to develop their opinions on what you as a school administrator should do for kids based on information that they find on the Internet. Um, So what are some of your biggest challenges when balancing the desires of parents and school policies? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good question. I think I think one I operate from the base assumption that regardless of of where people are on on the side of an issue that everybody is arguing from a place of wanting what's best for their child, right? Mm. I mean, I think everybody that, that talks to you, um, inherently, you have to believe that, right? That they think they're they're requesting what's best for their child. And so oftentimes, it's important to listen to what they're saying and trying to understand, um, you, you know, where they got their information and what they think is happening. Because 
a lot of times that's not in alignment with what's actually happening. And mm. so, um, but listening to them and helping to understand that is a good way to, to bridge the gap going forward and try to explain that. I think the second thing that's really challenging is we do a lot of things really well in education. One of the things that we don't do as well as we could is promoting all the positive things that we do mm. and promoting all the great things that go on at a, in a school district. One of the challenge of, of school districts that are our size is you get a little bigger than us and they literally have a what they'll have like a public information officer and a PR department mm. and and groups whose sole responsibility is to um, highlight all of these things that are going on and share positive news with the community and so forth. We don't have that, so we are we're struggling in the doing, mm. and we don't always get time to talk about what we're doing and and show what's going on. And so sometimes that can lead to people not seeing all the positive things that are going on. And then finally, I would say is that we're we're an organization that's always looking to improve ourselves. And so, you know, there are times where we could do things better. And I think mm. that we it's important to hear from people so that we know that going forward. Um, and so. I think, you know, finally with all the with the the COVID piece, right? I think what what our school board is anchored to the whole time is they've anchored to what are our health experts telling us. Mm. And and that's how they've decided to approach it and go forward in, in making the decisions that they can. Mm. Um and so Yeah. All right. And so when you talk about, you know, trying to bridge the gap, you know, when you have conflicting opinions mm-hmm. or um interests, uh how do you figure out a compromise, you know, between, you know, parents and the school district or things like that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think most things are based on relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And and building relationships. I think when we struggle is when those relationships or the trust gets broken. Um and so I think we're always looking to keep our eyes or our lines of communication open, right, as we go forward. Um, and try to make those connections and try to find common ground and common mm. interest and work forward. You know, and, and sometimes we can find compromise. And then there's times where we can't, right? There's times where there's very specific rules and guidelines that we have to follow and, and there might not be room for a compromise. So then it's just being able to talk with the other people mm. and explain where you're coming from and, and why you're taking that position. Right. And so, being able to explain why you're between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, and there's that happens sometimes as well. Room. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, you know, before I end the episode, is there anything else that you would like to say for the listeners? Gosh, no, I think I want to, I just want to say a special thank you to everybody. I know that the last couple of years have been incredibly difficult, right? Mm-hmm. In terms, I think it's been difficult for parents, for kids, for school staffs and trying to navigate all these unprecedented changes that we've had in the school system. And I think um, there's been so many people who have have worked hard to do what was in the best interest of kids, and and even when we haven't agreed all the time, I, I do really feel like uh, the overwhelming majority of people were advocating for what they felt like what was mm-hmm. best for kids, and I I think and I hope that we're coming up on a time where school will return to more of a normal pattern, more of a typical pattern. And I think we're all excited about that. And mm. so I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I have a lot of hope today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, um, oftentimes, you know, Brian and I have this conversation where it's not that, you know, anyone is trying to make bad or good things happen. It's that everyone wants to see the best of the world. Yeah. They just have different ways of getting there. That's right. I think that's really true. Yeah. I think that's really true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being willing to come onto the show today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me.
That's it for today's episode of Clocked In with the Press. I appreciate you taking the time to listen in, and I look forward to speaking with you in future episodes. If you would like to read more news stories of Contra Costa County, you can do so through our website at www.thepress.net or through our Twitter and Instagram at Press Clocked In. Contact us with your thoughts on this episode or any other before it. That's all that I have for you today, and I will speak with you all next time. This is Caitlin Gleason, Clocking Out. 